Hey, what you doing? Listening to Hacker Public Radio. Cool. Which one? Episode 972, Linux in the Shell. It's on the word count command WC. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like it when they can take some of the mystery out of the command line. HPR is really great for that. Oh my gosh, do you know what you just said? That HPR is great? No, everybody knows that. You said episode 972. That means episode 1000 is just a few shows away. Wow, 1000 episodes, that's a pretty big deal. Is HPR doing anything special for it? Yeah, we're asking everyone to send in a short recording congratulating HPR. Everyone? Yes, everyone who listens to HPR, whether or not they've recorded an episode of their own. But won't that take some time to edit together? Yep, that's why we need everyone to send in their recording as soon as possible. So if you know anyone who's a fan of HPR, please ask them to send in their recording as soon as they can. Does it need to be a long recording? No, shorter is better for this one, so that we can get lots of them into one show. So something like... Hey, Hacker Public Radio, this is NZ Fangirl, and I want to congratulate you all on your first 1,000 episodes. Keep up the great work. That's perfect. Great. How do I send it in? Oh, that's easy. Just make an MP3, Aug Vorbis, FLAC, Wave, or Speaks file out of the recording and email it to ep1k at hackerpublicradio.org. Oh, neat. Episode 1000 spells epic, ep1k at hackerpublicradio.org. Welcome to another Hacker Public Radio. This is the monthly review show for April of 2012. I'm Pokey, and uh, we're, we've got a full house in uh, in the chat today. We've got to say thanks first off to the Linux Basics team uh, for making this Mumble server available because we've got we've got a bunch of people in here, and it's a lot of fun. Starting off the top of the list, we got 5150. Howdy, folks. And we've got the Paranoid Shell. Howdy, howdy, everyone. We've got Borgu listening, but he's muted. And uh, Ken Fallon, of course. Good evening. And Kevin Grenade. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Glad to be here. Okay, so as usual, we're going to start off with um, uh, our new hosts. We're going to give a thanks to... Uh, hey, Ken, can you pronounce this guy's name correctly for me? Because I will butcher it. <laughs> it's uh, Klaas-Jan Koopman. Klaas-Jan Koopman. Okay, that's... Uh, that hyphen would have thrown me right off. Uh, that was that was a very cool show that you and he did together. And George, what's that? Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm the one who normally butchers the new hosts' names. So <laughs> yeah, but I think having having met him face to face, you've got the upper hand here. And door to door geek was our other new host. So thanks a lot to both of you guys for helping us out this month, and uh, and to all of our returning hosts as well. So shall we mosey through the new shows? Uh, yeah, we probably should. Okay, so uh looks like 9.57, uh, Freedom is Not Free, and this was a show on documentation by Ahuka, who, one way or the other, seemed to have left out his show notes for this one. So that was a little bit of ironic humor that maybe somebody missed and <laughs> would have liked to catch up on. 
Um, that was a good show, though. I'm really enjoying the Hookahs series here. That was uh, part three. Um, show 958 was KDE, Gathering Plasma Active uh, in the Tablet uh, by David Whitman. This this was uh, another. Why do I think I missed this one? Did you guys catch this one? Yeah, I listened to it, and one of the things uh, I found interesting, we've been talking since tablets came out, everybody wants one with uh, native Linux running on it, not Android, not iOS, and uh, one of the things they were talking about is, yes, you could get this tablet, and you could technically install LibreOffice on there, but they have a, an Office package that's a little lighter, and optimized for touch screens, whereas you're just going to be trying to emulate a mouse with most of your off-the-shelf packages and so and all the other software they're putting into this. So this is not just throwing KDE in the Linux shell onto on the tablet hardware. There's a lot more work going into it behind. That's ringing a bell now. Thank you. I must say I'm excited about these. Um... These tablets, I think they've changed the name, haven't they, since this? Yeah, it's it's on maybe its third name. Uh, there's been a couple for it. Like, what was it at one point, the Spark? Uh, yeah. and, That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and I think they have changed the name again, so it, it's got a new name to it. But uh, yeah, everybody's curious about it. Every podcast I've, I've listened to this week has uh, has mentioned it and said that they want to get uh, you know, get an interview. So that's uh, maybe, we could, maybe we could get in on that action, too. Well, I'm hoping uh, perhaps they can uh, port this to other existing tablets because one of the things that's been pointed out on the Spark tablet, you're you're paying 200 bucks for a tablet uh, from the hardware specs would normally be about $100. And I, I did hear someone mention on a podcast the other day that you could buy the parts to build the tablet yourself for about the, in the $100 range. So it might be... And you probably don't want to undercut the funding for this project, uh, if you want to look at it this way. But if if they if they can make it more portable, I think it 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 could just be adopted all over. But I think that's the point of building it on a particular tablet is to get something physical out there. And the price point, of course, is a valid point. But you are getting what you have been asking for all this time. You know, a tablet that runs native Linux on there. So I guess. It's uh, put up or shut up time for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's an economy of scale too. As long as these things are in small scale production, they're going to have to be. Um, they're going to have to cost more until they can pump enough out to bring the price down. Right, and we really need a way to push cross-platform computing in the tablet market. Uh, I just saw a uh, news report this morning. It had to be local, but some some school here in the state was going to require every student to buy a $600 iPad 3. That's that's I, unbelievable. I don't even have words to describe my... Uh, it's just appalling. It's, <laughs> that's awful. Well, the school I do administration for, they, they're talking... You know, they want to become sort of a technology magnet, but the way I understood it, the school was going to provide the hardware. That I don't have too much trouble with, but... Uh, when you're going to mandate mandate the hardware, and if it was if if I had a kid in that school, I would say no, I don't allow Apple products in my house. Do something else. Well, what I find quite odd actually is that you know they're coming up with uh, you must use this and you must use that, and yes, there's no 
researcher anything to prove that having all this technology in class is in any way assisting kids and in fact for kids with learning difficulties or difficulties concentrating ADHD dyslexia or whatever uh, all this technology is actually distracting from the main point of the class so you know it's a bandwagon to have these lovely shiny things in but at the end of the day if if a good teacher can get his or her message across with a blackboard and a piece of chalk well then job done you know well i can speak to that i can tell you why they're going to uh, computing in the classroom and that is because the computer grades the test for them and it's since they're having trouble with teacher retention at the uh, salaries that they can afford to pay it's uh, if what they're trying to do is turn teaching into as much of a nine to five job as they can do. It, it, it's detrimental to the students because every assignment and every test becomes multiple choice. Can you guys repeat all that? I was distracted by another window. I'll tell you what, listen to it on the podcast. Push to chuckle, guys. Push to chuckle. <laughs> all right, so. Uh, Moving on. Yeah, we can move on from there. Uh, what do we get next? We had uh, the Orca screen reader, um, the presentation about uh, Orca and that they're short of people who need help for that project. Oh, yes. That was the John Marie Diggs uh, presentation from uh, Northeast Linux Fest. And I, and I want to thank you, Ken, for bumping the Thursday queue, bumping that one up in the Thursday queue, because they are uh, desperate for uh, developers. And the, the head of that project is... Um, is, is not a developer and she doesn't really, it doesn't seem like she wants to be the lead developer. She's just the only one left. Yeah, not a problem. The uh, same rules apply to the Thursday queue as to everything else. So if it's important, it gets bumped. So on the following day, we had Deep Geek with uh, the newscast and he announced during the week that he's taken a sabbatical, just some time off to recharge his batteries, which is, I think, a good thing. A good thing for him, not that <laughs> we will miss the show, obviously. But Yeah, and also he, he's doing some... Uh, uh, tech upgrades too, and he wants to be able to concentrate on that, and not have to not have to juggle projects, which I can understand. Well, he's so prolific; it must take so much time organizing those stories that he deserves a little time off. Yeah, right on. Yeah, um, I think he could actually move to a two-weekly, uh, fortnightly schedule with the amount of stuff that he has. Actually, yeah, it makes for a long show every other week too. But that's you know whatever he, whatever he's comfortable with there. I I love those shows. I love those talky community news shows. I mean, the news that comes across there is so, it's really good, uh, and it's obscure. I never would have found it on my own, uh, so those are really good. And it's it's interesting, not just for me, but for my family, and he keeps it clean enough that I can play it in the car with my wife or with my kids, and I just I really appreciate those shows a lot. I find it uh, quite depressing, actually, sometimes. Well, you'll get that, too. <laughs> so, look, playing those shows, like, in the car with my wife and kids and just watching the looks on their faces as some of that news comes across, you know, how, how shocking it is, is, is one of my favorite parts of it, too. Okay, moving on. The following day, we had Experiences in the Mental Hospital by uh, Sig Flip. Yes. Now, this is our leader for the month for feedback because... Um, Lots of people left some feedback for her, and, and a lot of people, uh, their thoughts and prayers are going out to her, uh, mine included, though I, I didn't leave a, a text feedback. But um, it was a very interesting show. It was, it was very touching, and um, I, I think we're all, I, I you know, feel, feel I'm okay to say that, uh, you know, we're all very concerned for Sig Club, and, and we hope she pulls through this, and we're, we're pulling for you, Sig Club. Well, uh, she dropped into IRC here uh 
oh, a week and a half ago. Rowan Golfer, Golfer and I uh, spoke to her a bit, and we both expressed, you know, how fearless putting that out there was because there, you know, so many of us are hiding behind a handle and not exposing a lot of ourselves beyond the technical details, and uh, just it's incredible to find some somebody who would be that open with uh, what's going on with them personally. Absolutely. To be honest, the first time I heard it, I was thinking, well, Sigflip has been known to, uh, you know, do audio drama for a while, but then the, you know, you realize, God, this, this is actually real here. And uh, yes, I'm so proud that we have a, um, I'm very proud that she um, put it on the, sh- on the network because uh, it's definitely of interest to hackers. Yeah, and and I, I I think I get what you're saying there too. Being proud of of HPR and of the community that she would trust us with it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So uh, yeah, we can. I think we you know instead of dwelling all day, we'll just say sick club. We're uh, we're all pulling for you, and uh, you know, we all we all hope you come out come out of this the best. Um, so episode 962 was uh, Dan Washko again with Linux and Michelle. Uh, his fourth episode in that series is Paste and. Dan's been quite regular with these, and um, these have been been good for people. Uh, a lot of positive feedback. People are loving these. I've been really enjoying these. Uh, in particular, I spend quite a bit of time in the shell myself, but uh, Paste is actually a command I had kind of glossed over, and uh, even though I spent a good amount of time working with this stuff, um, that's when I just uh, hadn't given a second thought, but uh, it's uh, in my toolkit now, so I appreciate it from that angle. Well, Dan seems to be hitting a lot of uh, tools that I wouldn't have thought of using. The only thing I would maybe ask him, uh, since he does website and server administration, if uh, he could give a real-world example on some of these commands that we might not be familiar with as as uh, home users, and say, well, this th- in this situation, this is where I where this command comes in handy. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's a very good idea. I can think of uh, a lot of examples actually. That's good feedback. You should uh, make sure that Dan gets an email about that. We're actually having a uh, work having a Friday uh, lunch session because uh, our restaurant's been renovated, so we're having to eat at our desks anyway. And the meeting room is usually open on a Friday, so we've uh, we all have our lunch in there, and we just go through some uh, Linux commands. And this has been one of the sites that we've been referring to in there, you know, if you want a good rundown, this command, this command, whatever. And I think Dan is providing the basis for um, a lot of commands that uh, my networking basics or my bash scripting basics series, which has been put on hold since I became an admin. Actually, it's one of the reasons I emailed the list because my show was stuck in a queue. But anyway, and these, this was something that for in order to do bash scripting properly, it's just daisy chaining a lot of these commands together and Dan's gone through them one by one and it's a great basis for later anybody else wanting to build on this body of work because this is these commands are going to be as valid in 20 years time as they are right now today that is way cool that you're bringing this into work yep slowly converting them cool cool all right episode 963 was how i cut the cord part 3 by Brockton Bob and uh, this is still a good series. I'm still enjoying that. You know, not not being much of a, a television watcher myself, um, 
it's it's like all of this is kind of foreign to me, but it's it's good to hear and it's good info to have in case anybody asks me how to do it. And I have shared several of the things that he was talking about with uh, at least one other guy that I can think of, but maybe two. Yeah, this is uh, one of those series that I'm going to be referring to in a month or two uh, after moving to uh, be setting all my systems back up and uh, try to do it right with a fresh start. Okay, the following day we had uh, the Sunday Morning Linux Review, episode 26, and I'd like to uh, thank those guys for um, allowing us to bump their show down one uh, in order to get the uh, Orca screen reader in one previous week. And following that was Talk to, to Me Use. And then the following Monday, we had The Wisdom of Our Elders uh, by Door to Door Geek, his first episode. But of course, we all know him as being a podcaster on the Podnuts Network. Yeah, Linux Basics. In fact, whose server we're using. This was a great show. He said a lot of things that, um, you know, I've, I've said for most of my life. That was, it was really good. No arguments from me. No, absolutely none for me. I've done actually the same thing, recorded a lot of uh, stuff from my father. And because uh, he's the last um, the last of his generation in the neighborhood and remembers all the people and why things were done there and why that school was there and not somewhere else and why the well was there and why that wall was there. And this is stuff that, you know, people forget and you lose the context. I think you lose a lot of uh, a lot of history and it's 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 behooven to us to try our best to save this in the age of you know tweets and whatever telling us what you're eating for breakfast here we have the ability to record forever the wisdom of and the experiences of people i think it's something that we should all do as as tech people sit down with a microphone and interview as many people as we can not publish them necessarily but just make them available to other people yeah, not a bad idea. There's a there's a website idea for some someone out there. Right, like my family has stacks and stacks of pitch, pictures of people that I really need to sit down with my dad and put all those in the computer and label who they are because I'll have no idea one of these days. What I did there was um, just wrote, got all the photos and wrote a number on the back of them and um, just photographed them. And then as I was talking to him about it, like, who's in this photo? Number one, uh, this is, you know, your aunt, blah, 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 and she married to blah, and blah, and the whole family history is there. And then, you know, I've just got a digital photo of all the photos that I can use as a reference later on. And then we went for a drive, and I brought my uh, um, N900 at the time with a GPS and then wrote the coordinates where those photos were taken. Wow. Oh, and I should should mention I'm a little embarrassed you know, door at the end. He talked about some of his favorite podcasters, and it would have made more sense if he'd said Pokey and Ken Fallon. But he mentioned me with a bunch of people I probably shouldn't even be in the same podcast with. So, but uh, I I sure do appreciate that door. You thought of me that way, but uh, uh, I'm, I'll go on the record once again. I do absolutely nothing around here except show up once in a while. It's it's Ken and Pokey doing everything. I, I feel the same as you do, fifty one fifty. I don't I don't know how I became uh you know involved in this. <laughs> yeah, the community you guys are the community. Just I intend to replace myself with a script and go back to falling asleep uh, every month. So speaking of which actually we're making a little bit of progress there. We have the HPR scheduling system. 
is all over there on Gatorius, and I already have some um, scripts that um, you know I use in the back end. So I was thinking, well, why not put them up so that we can use those as a basis for at least a you know a basis for the logic for what we're trying to do and expand them up. Uh, I'm working on the queue manager now, and I'm going to base that in the short term on you know reading from individual files then I can work on the queue logic so that, you know, that, that is all working. And then when it comes to the day where we uh, go to a database for that sort of thing, you know, when people are entering directly via the website, then we can replace those with just uh, references to the tables, but it'll still be populating the same arrays and hashes. So um, we'll know then that the queuing system is working if it's working. Well, I, for one, Ken, just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. It's, it's, I don't think it would get done if you weren't doing it. Thank you. We just need uh, people sending in shows. And, well, you know, this month I think we have examples of why we need to keep this network running. There are myriad of examples of good, honest-to-goodness, techie stuff there. And then some really emotional uh, moments as well during the whole thing, so... That's uh, what I'm doing, and I think what you guys are doing, we're just facilitating the community. So let's uh, let's just keep it up. On that point, before we go on, I've been meaning to talk to you privately, but on the uh, listing on the site that says there's only 17 shows in the queue, and a, a week ago it was like 60, was that a glitch somewhere? No, I uh, did that deliberately because uh, what we're seeing is a lot of syndicated shows are being put in and regular shows like um, Dan's shows, for instance, are coming up in the queue. And yes, they're regular shows, but the, the, the point I'm trying to make there is that we have 17 people who have contributed to the show, not counting um, not counting people like Deep Geek or Dan, who are regular slots, not counting the, all the slots that we have for Syndicated Thursday. Not, not, and when you take all those out, we're left with 17 items in the queue, which I think is a fair is a fair review of the queue, actually. So we got 17 actual audio files in the queue. Yes. And the thing is, um, I was on IRC the other day, and one of the guys said, I'm thinking of doing this for HPR. And I said, yeah, definitely we're getting short of shows. And they looked at the queue and said, oh, there's 70, p- 70 things in the queue. But that's just because we've got the talks from Northeast Linux Fest has extended the syndicated Thursdays out. So that's added like five shows there. And whenever you go into another week, you've got the syndicated Thursday that comes with it. And then every second week you get the Linux in the shell, which comes with it. And then adding entire weeks just because we've added something to the Thursday queue. Yes. And it also adds the Deep Geeks Friday show. So in actual fact, the number of shows that we received, real shows didn't go up. The queue will only display the number of the the regular shows until the shows that we have run out, and then anything in syndicated Thursday or the other ones will not be displayed unless you click to see them. And I think that makes a fair change, don't you? Yeah, that sounds better. I think that reflects the community contribution. Seventeen in the queue is a lot less intimidating to, especially a returning contributor who's not going to get bumped to the head of the queue. Uh, it's a lot less intimidating than 64 or 70 that aren't actual shows, especially. It is, is starting to become a uh, running joke in the IRC, and that, uh, you know, in fact, I think they mentioned it in Dev Null, or Dev Random, sorry. They mentioned what? 
Oh, that if you when you contribute a show, it's going to be a month and a half before you hear it. Yeah, exactly, and I think that is uh, that's something that, that concerns me a little bit. Uh, I'm glad to get all this content. I'm just thinking um, uh, that the Linux in the shell cycle seems to be quite good because it allows us to put on shows every second week or so. I'm just wondering, do we need to maybe? switch syndicated Thursday to every second week or something like that as well. Send your comments and feedback on this topic to hpr at hackerpublicradio.org. Thank you, Pokey. No problem. Show 967, Raspberry Pi Spec Review. Fantastic show. Loved it. Thanks, I Diane. concur. Go ahead. I so I concur, and I'm, uh, you know, waiting with bated breath till mine shows up in the mail. I keep checking the mail every day since they say they're being sent, though I think it's only... The one's being sent out now, according to a message I got from RS Online the other day, seems to be only the people who ordered them on the first day before before the servers crashed. Yeah, I, I really wanted to, to make this episode because, uh, for a start... Uh, Clashan is is an absolute genius, hardware-wise, and uh, you know you just need to talk to him for a while to see the way his brain works. As far as this, he could be as unconcerned about the graphics processor on that board. Um, really, he just didn't care. Skipped over it. It was everything for him about this board is the connectors. And I had a big discussion um, on Fab's blog on uh, dhype.org where he uh, was. He basically came out and said the Raspberry Pi is a is a big hype, and we had a quite an extensive discussion about that. As as it happened, he posted that the same day that that we did the show about um, the Raspberry Pi came out. And I think what a lot of people are missing about this Raspberry Pi is that yes, it has a great graphics uh, adapter. It will make a lovely little server for you. But what it's doing is it's got so many connectors on there that will facilitate hardware hacking. You would not believe it. I mean, if we're probably Linux and software guys, but if you, even today when I was doing my projects, uh, you know, God knows how long ago, the difficulty I had getting my software to talk to uh, a programmable logic controller was just, it was like dragging my hair out. So I had it running and my project was brought in, brought from the second floor over to another floor for the presentation and some connector got loose and the thing didn't work. So... It, you know, this it, this just completely eliminates that because you go into standard interfaces and you'll be able to do the I.O. and you'll be able to write some sort of program and where they're selling this is in the in the catalogs for these schools and it's, it's it really will, uh, I believe, make hardware hacking just take it that that barrier that was so high and has been so high for so long it's really just going to lower that barrier down because now if you want to something send a five volt current to that pin on that uh on that port and that thing there you know that will turn on a, that's connected to an led uh, all you do is you echo one into this file i mean who can't do that it's it's just class well, I've talked to my superintendent, told him there was this thing called the Raspberry Pi coming up that was directed towards education and where he's wanting to get into being a tech magnet and uh, have a programming class. I may be able to slip these in, especially if there is a curriculum 
all set up and ready by next fall, and if not, maybe the next year. But hopefully, we he'll be reset. He's kind of a Mac guy, so but maybe I can slip Linux in under the door that way. Well, I was thinking about these ones. There, I think these guys are aiming them squarely at electronics students who are maybe have a little PCB or soldering or some stuff on right up to the you know the graduate. Some of the connectors are really advanced connectors that are used in mobile phones and for interfacing with mobile phones and really you know, specialized kit. So it's uh, it's cool. But anyway, we should move on. FFmpeg for video conversion 968. Brockton Bob. This is another good one uh, down on the command line, you know, along the lines of, uh, of Linux in the shell and um, some useful conversions there. FFmpeg is a great tool if... Uh, you know, if you need to grab some media from the internet and you don't want it in their format, maybe it's not readable to you, maybe it's not presentable if you want to show it to friends or something, um, and you can just go ahead and, and do that conversion that you need. So uh, this this was a good show. Thanks a lot, Brockton Bob. Yeah, I enjoyed it. If you guys remember, my first show was uh, over a year ago was on FFmpeg, and uh, Brockton Bob covered a lot more concisely than I did. So I, I salute him on that. And if anybody's interested in FFmpeg, check his show out first and then then look at mine because I, I still have to go back and read my own notes to understand FFmpeg. But uh, again, when we get the new site working, this is the sort of thing that I, I would like, uh, you know, tags on these episodes. So I also would like some people to volunteer to go back and... Um, listen to some of the old shows and while you're doing it you know pick out some tags like ffmpeg or uh, winff or whatever so that we can do those cloud tags at the side and that we can improve the searching and put better categories in and that sort of thing it's something especially as you're coming up on episode 1000 between 1000 and 1024 i'd like to kind of focus on the past and uh, also uh, during the week i uh referenced some of the older shows some of the ssh shows that i had done back in episode 700 you know 800 and people haven't been listening that long so you know there is still a wealth of information and i mean in when we get to episode 2000 these are the all these examples are still going to be as valid here the ffmpeg ones the uh, linux in the shell for instance are all still going to be you know perfectly workable it's hilarious that you're talking about episode 700 being way back in the past, and there's still 700 behind them. Yeah, and thanks uh, for you put that reference in IRC to your personal website and your notes on uh, that SSH show, because I, I, you've seen in the comments I left you, I found that very uh, helpful and has cut, cut down the lag time that I have to wait to connect to my server. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, my own blog is... Uh, has a intended target audience of one. It's uh, I was running a um, Unix.txt file where I put in all this stuff, and then I decided, well, this is of no use to anybody. I want to put this up somewhere where at least I can reference all this stuff, and then if somebody else um, finds it useful, good and well. But the target audience of my website is me. <laughs> six months from now which is why a lot of the uh, a lot of the podcasts are entitled six months from now sorry cool. blogs not blog podcasts cool uh ready to move on yes okay episode 969 and i should have mentioned this at the beginning uh the crivens audio cast is a new series for us now was this this was a thursday show though wasn't it that's correct yeah okay so yeah 
and and this was um, this was Thistleweb and was it Kevy? Kevy. Okay, yeah, and Kevy. And uh, thanks, guys, for for sending that show, and it was a lot of fun. It was pretty funny. Um, it was uh, most of it this time was about gaming and uh, you know gaming on Linux and stuff. And uh, I don't know if they're all going to be like that, but no, uh, they're not. No, but it was interesting either way. This was good. The um, I don't. Uh, Thistleweb was on our HPR uh, show for the New Year show, which is why you our listeners may be familiar with them. And uh, we also have uh, a show in the queue for Syndicated Thursday that Kevy does, Tux uh, Jam. Both of these shows bug me no end. Criven's audio cast and Tux Jam. And anyone want to know why? Because you're an Irishman and you hate Scots. It's because I have uh, in my in my podcasting listening queue. I have the music shows and I've got the podcasts. And the music shows I leave at one speed, and the podcasts I leave at uh, I speed up three, four, five times. And because they play good music in the middle of the shows, I am uh, I'm stuck deciding whether to speed them up or not. So as a solution, I listen to these ones at home when I'm filling the dishwasher, and then I use FFmpeg uh, has a has a mode that you can speed it up without turning them into chipmunks, and then I can slow it down again for the music. I see. Hey, you know what? I listen on a Rockbox enabled player, and that also can compress time without without uh, changing pitch, and it can do it on the fly. So uh, that those shows <laughs> that hasn't bothered me. Yeah, flaky. It, I found uh, Rockbox on my Sansa clip to be very flaky, so I went back to the um, built-in OS. Oh, bummer. That, that stinks. I like it on mine. Well, I think Pokey and I both have fuses, and uh, yeah, it's just, I, I'm glad I finally put Rockbox on it just for that, but it does does get annoying when uh, they do include good music. I, I, I agree the same the same way, of course, the HPR theme is always da 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 you know, and spit sped up. You can imagine what that sounds like. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a clip plus actually. It's uh same same one I think that Ken has, and it, I don't know it works fine for me. Okay, the following day was talk geek to me news, and then we had Dev Random episode zero zero. Yeah, it's hard to even mention Dev Random without laughing because that was just a hilarious show, and and it was full of news too. It wasn't just hilarity it was it was good very very good show it's a pity we didn't uh, we could have included that on under a new show i mean um because especially if you're doing a new show you don't want to be sitting in the queue for nine months so um the next time we'll have to put that up on under the rule of um a time critical show yeah i agree or, or maybe get them in in the because uh, i know they well no because they said that's a randomly recorded it's not on the schedule but, yeah, that's fine. Good. We can fine. we can have a standard rule, add a rule in there saying you know, uh, we will reserve a slot for that whenever it comes in. <laughs> yeah, it was good. All right, uh, nine seventy two was another Linux in the shell. Number five for Dan was uh, WC uh, word count. That was that was pretty cool. Nine seventy three freedom. I done. use by the way real world examples. I use that every day. Every single day, you do a grep for you're looking to see a before and after event in a file in a log file, and you count the number of instances of a thing, and then afterwards, if there's the same or less or more, then you know your things are different, and you can investigate it further. I remember hearing maybe a year ago or two years ago where somebody had written an article 
for some, I can't even remember what the details were, but I remember somebody wrote an article and turned it in for to, to something. I don't know if it was a publication or a company's internal publication, and whoever was in charge of the publication rejected it because it wasn't enough words or it had too many words or something. Something was not right with it, and the person who handed it in ran it through WC on you know on on the command line and showed them that the word count was correct and was able to settle the argument by by using you know Unix as a as a standard as opposed to whatever you know probably Microsoft Word or something that they use the word count on that and uh, and they were able to settle a dispute with with the WC command and I wish I could remember the details now classic I like it the following day we had freedom is not free with regard to money and that is very valid and i think apt as well when we're since we're talking about you know the plasma tablet if you can afford to invest in a in a tablet of that price and take the hit on the hundred uh you know the hundred euros is going to be going for the development costs or whatever then uh yeah put your money where your mouth is and the following day we had sorry yeah i was gonna i was gonna jump in there i'd like to add a couple things on that don't uh when we're talking about supporting open source don't forget uh to support the uh podcasts and the websites that you make use of uh i think you guys were talking before i jumped in uh about how door supports so many of these uh podcasts through the linux basics mumble server that we're on right now so if you're listening to us why don't you head on over to linux basics and click on the contribute button. Also uh, one thing has come up is the uh, flatter. Not every, not every uh, open source project or, or uh, website or podcast uh, is connected to flatter but those that are because I know it could get it could get awful expensive if you get if you decide well I'm gonna give uh, 20 bucks to Kubuntu and I'm gonna give another 20 to uh, LibreOffice and you know 20 to the GIMP project, but with Flatter, maybe if you decided I'm going to set aside 10, 15, 20 bucks a month that I'm going to spread around the open source and and uh, do these shows that I listen to. Uh, that way you can you can set up your own budget and uh, spread everything around a little bit. Also, a few of these podcasts out there, I know the Techie Geek. And Doors Podcast, uh, po- well, Podnuts at least, uh, have the Amazon Contribute button. In other words, it doesn't cost you anything, but if you're going to make a purchase on Amazon, if you go, and I'm bad about forgetting to do this, if you go through those websites and click on that and go from there into Amazon, they get at least a small amount of of that purchase back to them. And I... I really wish somebody who was smart out there would write a uh, plug-in for Firefox that would automatically do that for me. Just put a button at the top anytime I'm in on the Amazon website. It says, remember, you know, to click on one of these guys to, to get a contribution or, or, or uh, advertising uh, kickback, however you want to call it. What was that website? Because I'm going to buy a Terry Pratchett book right now. Well, if you go, if you go to say the com, there's a button on there that that's for an for Amazon contribution. The same thing I think for all of the Podnuts uh, websites. So I think he was asking about Flatter. It's what F L A T T R. 
No, I know about Flatter. I've, I have an interview with uh, one of the um, people from Flatter, from Ogcamp, still in the queue, still not out. Oh, awesome. It's, all right, so what, you were just asking about the Amazon? Uh, exactly. Wait, you know, actually, it might be something worth our while just put, just putting, uh, gathering a list of these, how you can support other podcasts, put them on the website somewhere. Links, buttons, Flatter, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and don't forget, you know, when you're on some of your favorite websites, to go ahead and allow the ads for those websites if you're if you're a real fan of them, because a lot of people have ads, you know, uh, uh, AdBlock Plus or some other ad blocker, and um, you know, sometimes that's real good because a lot of the internet is completely unreadable with the ads in place. But for some of these people who are your your favorite people and your favorite websites, uh, you know, you're you're directly blocking their revenue with an ad blocker. Okay, uh, the following day we had the uh, Northeast Linux Fest free NAS presentation. Yeah, that was um, Drew Levine, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that one a lot. Um, I, I was at the Northeast Linux Fest, but I didn't get to hear any of the talks because I was busy with the table. So I um, I found that one very interesting. I liked it a lot. That's another one of those I think Ken and I were talking about one time before that, oh, it's it's hard to process and just remember all that information you get to the end of the podcast but that puts it into my memory when when i do want to implement free nas at some point i'll know where to go back and uh re-listen and and program that information and take notes well i have a little bit of an issue with this because um i don't know if people are familiar with the story behind free nas you know it was always built as this small device that would run on anything and turn it into a nas box and now with the addition of something like um zfs with the addition of that it's turned it into a behemoth and the guy who was who was originally hacked uh, free nas together he left the project or they, they took the project and he wanted to convert it into a linux solution to do the same thing and they felt that no, they wanted to maintain it as a as a NAS project, and it's been com- basically completely rewritten with all the tools have been rewritten, and it's running ZFS, but it's still called the free NAS project. So I, I'm a little bit. At what point does it stop being the free NAS project that everybody knows about and expects to be the small thing? Is it is it fair the small thing that's got different licenses? It's you know, it's cobbled Samba from here, and it's cobbled this from the Linux side. That's a good point. Um, to be a to be a completely other thing that's just under the name Free NAS that now takes you know twelve gigabytes to run. I don't think they're the same project at all. I was going to make exactly that same point. It has obviously progressed into a tool for network administrators for for big enterprises, not e- not even a small business, because you're going to have you can't just take an old box and uh, run ZFS on it. Now, I I believe a while back it was it was the Sunday morning Linux review uh, show that they they did talk about. Well, you could pick uh, ext4 or something like that, and it would be more you, you could still fit it on an on an older uh, tower and and just stick a couple of old drives in there. Yeah, but you'd be correct. You know, UFS, you could you could run that, but again, it's still not the same code. It's been a complete rewrite, more or less from scratch, of a code base. So they they took over the management of the project and they called it free NAS, but they're not using the same code. They've stripped out all the GPL stuff, which is don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong in any way. Um, but I think it's a bit, it's a little bit of a misnomer because if you Google now 
version free nas version 2 or whatever the version, previous version was it's all referring to something completely different that has uh that got a completely different stack of programs within it completely different ui and a, and also completely different file system underneath and to to what there is now which is a completely different thing so i i don't i i i just think it's confusing and a little bit um a little bit uh let me see what's the word uh disingenuous yeah it might be a bit a little bit confusing let's just say to to call that project freenas when in actual fact it's not what most people think the project freenas was i'd be really surprised if we didn't see someone uh take say debian and throw samba on there and a and a really light web server to uh run the management page just like free freenas used to be so that you could manage the whole thing through a web page and do do something like that and do something to fill the niche that uh, FreeNAS used to fill. One thing you do run into these days, though, if you're just taking an old junk computer that no, that nobody wants, it's awful hard to, to buy a new IDE drive of any size anymore. You go on Newegg, and if you look for a new IDE, I, most of them top out at 80 gig, which really isn't adequate uh, for a backup solution. And if, you, if you're if you looking for uh, a SATA drive, then you can buy those, but then, you, then you're talking about a newer, probably dual-core computer, and you can find those used, but you're 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 still talking about putting some money into your backup solution. Yeah, and the question is, uh, I'm running two servers down here in the basement, and they're running ID. They're quite old. Um, one is Dave Yates' mirror server, but it's costing me quite a lot on energy every month, and uh, I'm looking to move to something like a hacked version of the Polga plug, so uh, less uh, less expensive on uh, energy. You know, thinking overall more green. Yeah, I I just want to pipe in. She she did make uh, reference to a Debian fork of the project. I don't know if I want to. I would consider it a fork to where someone is trying to run it on Debian. She didn't mention the project's name, and I think it would be great to have that name because that sounds like um, it might be the true community version of this. But I'm not talking about whether it's the same true version or whatever. It's it what she was referring to. Um, it, he was more comfortable using Linux on the on the base. So you have all this stack with all the software and you have a GUI tools that met up the FreeNAS project and underneath you had a FreeBSD stack, yeah? And that project continued on as another project and all the tools from the stack up, you know, where essentially it doesn't really matter because it goes down to the hard disk, no one will ever see it. Um, he wanted to replace it with Linux. So that's that's been forked off as another project so to me it would be it that is what when people think of a free nas device that's what that's what they're thinking of and not a this new thing where the entire stack from from scratch is written from uh, has been rewritten so if you think of, of a stack going from you know the various different versions of the linux kernel right up to the management stuff samba and all the rest of it up on top if you just replace the kernel how much of a percentage of the of the project has been replaced in actual fact. I but would anyways, say a good bit of it because as soon as you take the BSD kernel out and put the 
Linux kernel in, you're losing everything that has to do with ZFS and so much of the new yeah, projects. Yeah, but ZFS, that was my point. ZFS isn't, hasn't been in FreeNAS. The, the FreeNAS that will run on your toaster, that's been on the websites up until now. You know, that's if you Google FreeNAS right now, that's, you know, will run on anything. That was the, uh, the project that uh, people were referring to, you know? Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this, because she made specific reference to the, the FreeNAS 7 branch being the older one and the FreeNAS 8 branch being the newer one. Does, I'm not as familiar with how the BSD community works, but is that 7 branch going to continue to be maintained with the old tools? Is that community going to um, jump on that, or is that just being abandoned? I, I honestly don't know. And, and you know, it, more power to them for continuing on with the FreeNAS project. I'm just... My... My uh, my issue is more on the the confusion that would arise that people would assume that there was a different that this was the same identical project and would have the same expectations of it when in fact it should be like something like FreeNAS BSD or something. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, they got taken over by a corporate entity. They're being maintained by a corporate entity, so there's there's corporate interests um, involved here. And I I in my queue of interviews to um, to edit and post. I did interview um, Drew Levine, and she made specific reference to that, that, that uh, FreeNAS is now a corporate tool and is intended for the corporate environment. It is not intended for the home user, throw it in your basement machine. While it can be used for that, they understand that this is meant to be run on high-end hardware for, for corporate use. Yeah, but that was there was always that element uh, that that company, the name again escapes me. Sorry, everybody, it's a bit late here. Have always been supporting uh, the FreeNAS project, so you know that's nothing new really in the in the FreeNAS development. Uh, and I think they should be applauded for that. And you have to remember that the again the BSD philosophy about uh, how corporations work is is a lot more corporation friendly than you know what a traditional, I suppose. Linux or GNU Linux advocate might consider. Anyway, shall we move on to the next and last show? Let's do. It was uh, episode nine seven five. Uh, why sixteen cores? I I really enjoyed the show. I must say, he was upset. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I, but uh, he's he's right. He's so right. Um. Yeah. No. I, well, I, I can speak to that. I mean, the 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 dual processor. Uh, motherboards and they still make them to fit in it the your traditional ATX form factor though usually you're going to see something like that in a rack server it's my understand understanding and Ken probably knows more about than I do that if you if you have a server that's running a database and multiple queries in and out and hundreds of users then you can make use of those 16 cores now he was talking about gaming and uh, usually the server processors are not at all uh, adaptable to gaming anymore because usually you can't plug in a uh, high-end GPU video card and make it work with those processors. And, and even if you're building a gaming system, uh, you have to remember the games, even though they're taking more and more resources, their market mostly is to some, guy, some kid trying to run the game on his dad's Dell with two cores and a built-in Intel video, and that's sort of been the bane of the uh, industry that uh, even though we have multiple cores, just only in the last probably year have you seen games actually uh, 
designed to use more than one processor core. And very, very few games out there will make use of more than two. So when you see in the magazines, they talk about your uh, where to spend your money on builds, of course, uh, more and more GPUs. But as far as processors, it's sort of a toss-up. Usually, if you're trying to trying to save your money, if you can go higher clock speed on a dual-core processor, uh, you're, pro you're better off than buying a uh, slower quad-core or septa-core processor, but common wisdom on that now is, the, is going with more than two cores makes you more future-proof, that uh, maybe you'll be, be faster on the game sold today, but will you be faster on the game sold next year or uh, two years down the road? I don't know. I think if I had 16 cores in my kid's uh, Minecraft server, that game might finally run smooth. Well, and the other thing is, uh, when you're comparing Intel and AMD, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of the things AMD are doing, but you usually if you compare uh, price from uh, one side to the other, you you can probably buy a quad-core AMD for the same price you can buy a dual-core i5 or i3 Intel processor, but everything I've read says your games will probably still, at the same at the same price point, run faster on the Intel chip. Yeah, that's absolutely true for right now. Um, I don't think it's going to be too much longer, though, uh, before we're going to have a pretty big flip where... I think game engines are going to flip over to ray tracing, and ray tracing is going to run great on multiple, multiple cores, and I think eventually the video cards are just going to go away. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, this episode, Deep Peak was talking about a server processor anyway, wasn't he? Yes, but he said he did make the point. He he said he didn't really game, but, you know, who is it? Is it gamers trying to use this many cores? Uh yeah, if you're sitting there running uh, LibreOffice, I don't think you're going to tax one core. Yeah, but he wasn't. He's he's building a desktop machine out of a server processor and a server motherboard. Is is my point. So I, I think there are plenty of uses for 16 cores on a on a high load system. But he's building a desktop system, so I mean I could be wrong about this. But uh, you know maybe maybe that's where the uh, where this isn't matching up. Well, I think Blender would run really, really fast on 16 cores. I bet if you turn Claw 2 loose on one of these, he'd just be in heaven. All right, so feel free to leave your feedback on the comment thread for this episode, for episode 975. I'm sure Deep Geek would love to have your feedback. And uh, that wraps up our shows for this month. I just wanted to say you know, thanks to Deep Geek for that, but also to Brock and Bob. We had you in the schedule as that Friday. But we didn't have a show from you, so if that show got lost somewhere in the ether, somewhere in the cloud, can you re-upload that show because we've, we've still got you in the queue, uh, or else we just made a mistake in thinking that you had another show ready for us. I honestly cannot find that, and I'm so dis so juggling so many things at the minute, I uh, can't ha have no recollection of having that show anywhere. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I just said I couldn't. I couldn't find any reference to it anywhere except for it was listed in our show queue. Okay, before we go, I wanted to say I have a Project Epic uh, announcement. We've been talking about we are going to test the capabilities of the Mumble server, and uh, Dor and I have come up with a date for that. It is uh, Friday, May 11th, 
and the lug on uh, it's the same mumble server we're talking on right now if you go to linux6.com uh, the connection settings are there and it it's uh, Friday it'll be uh, the lug starts at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time and uh, of course Linux space starts right after that so it'll be Friday Friday the 11th and uh, I had uh, I'd understood the upgrades he was going to need to make to take to take even more people than he normally does was something he would just set and it'd be like that forever but it's it's something he does on on a uh, per incident basis I guess it only cost him like a buck but you know since we since I gave him the heads up on when we were going to do it uh, he'll he'll have it set up for that night to allow a whole lot more connections and what if you don't remember from previous episodes, we wanted to test to see how many people we could invite into the panel for the history of HPR on episode uh, 1024, which will air on, according to the schedule on the 5th of July. So we, we just want what we're trying to do is get enough people on there so we can see how many people it takes to break uh, Doors Mumble server. So if you can hear me, I would very much like you to, if you don't have it installed, install Mumble on your on your Linux or even on your Windows. Uh, you know that's okay too. And join us on Doors server. It's mumble.openspeak.cc port six four. Uh, seven four seven, and all the details are there on the Linux Linux Basics homepage, and that's l i n u x b a s i x dot com. And uh, come join us, and let's see if we can knock uh, Door Server off offline. That's all the hosts. That's all the listeners. All the people within the range of my voice. Tell your friends. All right. So a proper load test next Friday. Uh, Friday after next the 11th of May. All right, uh, and that leads us into uh, the rest of our news. Uh, we can get to this. We already talked about Deep Geek, Deep Geek taking some time off uh, to upgrade some of his technology. He should be back in June or July, depending on how that goes and uh, and how antsy he gets to, to getting back to podcasting. David Whitman, who was running the, um, the Linux Fest Northwest table, the HBR table at Linux, Linux Fest Northwest, he says that he got the HBR conference kit, uh, such as it is, in time, and he has built quite a display to go behind that table. And oh no man, there will be a, a picture in the show notes for this. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really incredible. He took he took uh, and made kind of a, a tree shape, uh, coat rack shape kind of a thing out of um, PVC pipe to hold the banner up high and to get some color prints up. It's really really incredible. He's he's going to draw a lot of crowds with that display. So uh, yeah, check check the show notes here for some pictures, and let's hope he updates us with some pictures from that event, which is happening now as we are recording. He uh, contacted me earlier to say he was going to try and uh, call in, but obviously that didn't work out for him. Yeah, bandwidth at um, at Linux Fests always seems to be uh, uh, never seems to deliver what's promised. <laughs> we'll say that. But he's also making good use of your presentation slides too, Ken, because those are on a loop on the computer at the table. So whenever he's not using that computer for recording or whatever else is going on, he's got your uh, your slides going on uh, on a loop. I've actually added them to the Git repository because 
the whole plan of when I was doing each of those slides was, you know, a lot of them are factual, like the number of shows, the number of hours of content and that sort of thing. But that is sort of uh, variables that I want available on the websites as well so that we can keep that maintained every day. Now we have 30 gigs of data. Now we have so many hours of data. Now we're running this long. Um, so that and ideally, if somebody can tell me a way to automatically put text into a ODP document so that it would automatically be updated, that would be cool. ODP, a ODT, yeah, open document text, yeah, or open document presentation, whatever that one is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then of course, Ken, you just completed the barn project interview. And that show is coming up, but was there anything you wanted to say about it now? Because that project is pretty exciting uh, in your area. It's, yeah, it's actually in the UK. It's over um, beside Blackpool. And uh, I got thrown, I put onto it because my brother is just lives outside of a city zone. What, what so is he's, it? It's about the running fiber optic uh, ducting to every home every single home in a, a huge area in the UK in you know on a mountain somewhere and everybody is going to get one gigabyte gigabit up and down fiber connection every farm every school every business is getting this that's spectacular it's a it's an amazing uh, an amazing project what people can do to you know when they sit down and the, the amount of information that they have on their website available for other other people to do exactly the same thing. It's uh, it's uh, it, the show is going to be out uh, during the week, so you'll get a chance to hear it then. Okay, cool. And um, as you folks heard at the beginning uh, of this show, we played the promo for the um, for the episode one thousand submissions. You can probably tell we're a little desperate for submissions at this time. Last I heard, we had nine, maybe ten submissions. Uh, 5150 for episode 1000 so please um, get those in as quickly as you can and we're going to have a link to that promo so if you know anybody who's got a podcast that we don't know or haven't thought of please email them and send them that promo they can play that uh, for us if they'd like and uh, we should have two promos we'll have that one that we, we played at the beginning was uh, almost two minutes long and another one that uh, 5150 and I are going to record immediately following this show that we're recording here and it should be much shorter so if you could send them both and let the shows decide which fits their format better that would be fantastic so um you know tweet it vent it blog it g plus it facebook it whatever technology you have please help us to get the word out that we need these submissions quickly for episode 1000 to go off as planned yeah i think on tilts one of the other podcasts they said that would be a good use of the uh dial-in technology, the phone number on the website. Somebody also said something about they're having trouble using the U.S. number. So Yeah, the U.S. number's broken. I've called that a couple of days in a row now, and it is, as of this recording, it is not working. If you want to send it to email, of remind you again, that's EP, the numeral one, K, so it looks like epic, but there's a one in there, at hackerpublicradio.org. And that's where my show notes run out, Ken. What, what else did we have on those notes? Uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up uh, on our end. Uh, there, There is some activity going on in the background there for the Gatorius, the development mailing list. So if you're interested in some, doing some development, you could uh, get in touch with us. We had a kickoff meeting, which is essentially me waffling for an hour 
and uh, other people listening, but I don't particularly want to turn it into a benevolent dictator project. I think there's enough of those around. However, I did outline kind of what my view on the thing was to make it as portable as possible, basing all the interfaces on the RSS uh, 2.0 standard with some Atom and, and Apple namespace additions to the um, to the standard. That if we're able to carry that in, um, if we're able to carry all the podcast information that we need in that, which we should be able to do because essentially we're a podcast, then we can use that RSS format as the format which people can upload their shows, even if they're off-site at home. They know that if they fill out all the required fields in, the, in that, then we can uh, we can then submit it via FTP or whatever, or put it as a button on the website that you can download. So that was essentially it. So it was a lot of homework for people to go off and investigate that standard. And there's a few open questions that need to be answered. How are we going to carry tags? For instance, I've seen it done on other websites. It's just uh, would be good if there was a XML or RSS expert out there that could help us a little bit with that. But other than that... I have one personal request for the audience here. I came across a podcast just recently that I enjoyed a whole lot, and it was it was uh, very system related. Very, it would be a nice fit for for Hacker Public Radio in our syndicated queue. And I left them some feedback, and I was hoping that some folks could head over to their website and uh, and plus one my feedback so that they might consider uh, adding their show to our queue because they don't have any any license any license right now for releasing their show. And I just see a, a copyright logo at the bottom of the page. And that's I, I don't think that's the way they intended to do it. But maybe they haven't given it any thought yet. But uh, this is, it's called the Distributed Podcast. And they're at distributedpodcast.com. And if you head over there and click on their feedback. And uh, right now it's on the second page because it's got no votes yet. But, um, yeah, if you could plus one that and just let them know that, uh, you know, we're out there also. Because I think it would be a, a good fit for one another, uh, that show. I listened to their episode on um, boy now I can't find it shoot what's it called it's a it's a, a Java thing the um, disruptor something disruptor it was it was way over my head but what bits and pieces of it I did understand were just fantastic it was it was a great interview but anyway that's uh, that was just a personal thing I thought it was good and I and I thought it would be a good fit so if you wanted to um, you know plus one my comment on that I'd appreciate it where is that. Can you send me a link to the show notes, yep, please? I'll send you. Yeah, I sure will. And it's but, just distributedpodcast.com, not the distributedpodcast.com. That's correct, distributedpodcast.com. Yeah, but I don't know which comment, which post you had commented on. If you click their link for feedback and then go to the second page, it's the one that says HPR in it. Okay, will do. Sorry, I was going to say it said to release your audio files under a CC license so that they can be syndicated on Hacker Public Radio. That was my comment there. I'm doing it now. Cool. Thanks, Ken. And that's it for me. Okay. Uh, Just got three votes. <laughs> one thing I wanted to bring up, and you've probably heard the uh, promo on uh, the Linux Lake Tech Show, and if you're not listening to Tilt, shame on you, you need to be. But it's the fiction uh, audio cast, uh, sort of like an old-time radio show, uh, This Thing of Ours. If you go over to uh, decoratedair.com, and the reason I mention it, uh, Lost in Bronx, he's not writing it, but uh, he does one of the voices uh, for these episodes, and it is a uh, audio drama 
sort of 1970s mob story. So it's not, it's certainly not Eddie Kay, but it's, it might be guys who live in the neighborhood of uh, Eddie Kay and Sal, guys that they would bump into. And it's, it, there's funny parts, but it's not, it's not a comedy. And if you haven't been listening to that, next thing you do after, after this podcast, run over to decoratedair.com and uh, download the episodes for the first season. And you'll see when you get there that they are they have a casting call for a couple, couple guys to play FBI agents. So uh, those of us who can't even approach that sort of Eddie K type accent could actually could actually try out for this i intend to record one later today so if you haven't heard of that i i think there's no way you won't like it so go right over there it's probably not well it's definitely not safe for work so uh check that out it's it's close to being safe for work but you're right it's probably an nsf tag is is appropriate i want to thank you for bringing that up 5150 because uh I, I was on an episode of that as well, and um, I, I imagine I'll be a returning character on there. I, I hope to be, but uh, I was a fan of that um, long before I recorded a part for it. But it, it is a really, really good uh, audio drama. I was just going to tell Pokey, I hope he doesn't get bumped off in the next episode. No, but I wouldn't mind it either. It's, you know, it's not my show, so whatever. Again, uh, can you send me links for the show notes? Might be no harm to send uh, links for both of those shows over to Dan at the linuxlink.net. Okay, guys, I'm falling apart here. Can we uh, wrap it up, or at least I'll I'll head off to bed. <laughs> I think I'm all set. Did anyone have anything to add? All right, then. On behalf of everyone here tonight, I want to thank everyone for listening. On behalf of everyone listening, I want to thank everyone for showing up and recording, and we'll see you again next month. Happy Queen's Day, everybody. Take care, and uh, my news this morning said this was Worldwide Penguin Day, but when I looked on the internet, there seems to be little conf- when we record this, not when you're hearing it, but a uh, little confusion about, about when that date is, but in any case, uh, happy Worldwide Penguin Day, everyone. Well, it's the Queen's birthday over here in the Netherlands, so uh, today when it'll be released, so everybody will be dressed in orange and out drinking stuff. <laughs> And playing Queen at uh, high volume? Surprisingly not, no. Well, tell her I said happy birthday when you see her. Uh, sure. Hey, 5150, I just realized we're getting close to 1,000 episodes of HPR. Do you think we should do anything special? Pokey, I'm glad you asked that. We are planning two special episodes. For episode 1,000, we're asking our listeners, current and former HPR hosts, and fellow podcasters to record their well wishes and recollections of the early days of BinRev Radio, Radio Freak America, Today with a Techie, and Hacker Public Radio, and send them to ep1k at hackerpublicradio.org. Epic, huh? No, Pokey. Edward Papa One Kilo at hackerpublicradio.org. The fact that it looks like Epic is purely a coincidence. It stands for Episode 1000. Good, because I did one Epic podcast already. So is that all we're doing? No, for Episode 1024, we will be inviting members of the Infonomicon Computer Club and the hosts of Radio Freak America, BinRev, Podfurt, Twatech, and the early days of HPR to join me on a panel discussion about the legacy of Hacker Public Radio. I'll be contacting the original host by email, 
or if they think their contact info may be out of date, they can go ahead and mail me at ep1k at hackerpublicradio.org. That sounds great, just as long as you don't expect me to edit the whole thing. No worries. Wow, 1,000 episodes. Let's see Tilts go and top that. Dude, your mic is still on. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.